Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. Now, be sure to keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, and basically anywhere that you get your podcast. So look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, stay in touch. All right, family. Um, this first thing that we want to uh, acknowledge to talk about, it is certainly uh, with heavy hearts that we mention it, but uh, it's important that we do. We are in Chicago, and Chicago suffered, uh, once again, suffered a loss and was just reminded that um, that we have a long way to go to really ensure uh, the, the, the safety of our uh, of our citizens, um, just really a sad, uh, a sad loss. Uh, and I'm speaking about the uh, Mercy Hospital shooting yesterday, where three lives were lost, and um, you know it's just really sad. But before I go any further, uh, I am joined as always uh, in studio by the impressive one, uh, my co-host, assist- assistant producer Ibrahim Baig. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Um, so yeah, uh, yesterday. Uh, police were called to the hospital after a uh, one Juan Lopez uh, confronted emergency room doctor Tamara O'Neill, uh, which uh, was the result of a broken engagement. Uh, this is according to sources. And by the time police officer, uh, Chicago police officer Jimenez and his partner arrived on the scene, Lopez had already shot O'Neill. Uh, reportedly standing over her as he fired uh, the last shots. And this is also according to police sources and witnesses. So um, uh, Officer Jimenez, he was killed. Um, Dr. Uh, Dr. O'Neill, uh, as well as a, uh, a pharmacy, uh, pharmacy resident. And uh, we'll do her justice by giving her name. We'll pull it up in, in just a second. Uh, Dana Less. Dana Less. She's yes, twenty-five years old. Yeah, and, and and I believe she was headed back to Indiana. She was making preparations to head back to Indiana for Thanksgiving, and uh, and this is you know this is the outcome. Certainly not anything that anyone would expect. Uh, it, it really just goes to. It, it's a reminder. It is certainly uh, it's a painful and a sad reminder of the uh, fragility and just the unpredictability. Uh, of life, you know, in the, in a time where access to not just access to uh, to firearms, but just the way that people process, uh, the way people see life. I mean, this idea of if I can't have you, nobody else will. I mean, that's a really sick uh, and and depressing and just a uh, just a sad way to to see life. And obviously, this 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 man. Juan Lopez saw things that way. Now, one thing that is interesting, they brought up the fact that he had a restraining order placed on him uh, four years ago. Uh, and it, you know, and we don't know the specifics around it, but it does say something, right? There's something to be uh, gleaned from that. 
Uh, but more importantly, you know, our prayers go out to the family of Dr. O'Neill, um, police officer uh, Jimenez, uh, as well as um, uh, was it Dana? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, her and her 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 family, uh, as they all process how to deal with how to deal with the loss like this. You know, who do you? You know, normally when something like this happens, we we look for someone to blame, and of course we can look at the individual that came into uh, her place of work, who came into Mercy Hospital, uh, uh, Juan Lopez. We can look at him definitely as the uh, as the as the person that blame should be laid on. Um, but this is is much larger than just this one in- incident. It's also it also speaks to just this trend of of not really knowing what's going to be the outcome in these public spaces where we feel like we should be able to feel safe, right? This infringement upon the expectation of safety. And, and when it comes down to the, the weapon, right, the, 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 the manner in which these lives were lost, uh, when we're talking about gun control and, and gun violence, what I'm thinking about is even if the guns are being purchased uh, legally, I would ask the question, why aren't why isn't there a more stringent process with regard to being able to purchase firearms and not just a waiting period? But why isn't there a mental evaluation that goes along with uh, goes along with this purchase? Right. Why is as a matter of fact, when I think about it, if, uh, countries like Japan, uh, that which comes to mind, there's a that's a part of the application. Right. There's a mental there's a mental health assessment. There's a psychological uh, exam that's given prior to you being able to purchase a, fir- a firearm. It is that access. It is not uh, as easy as it is here. So the things that we have here, like, you know, the gun shows that big loophole that doesn't exist there, from what I understand. But more importantly, I go back to mental health, psychological evaluations. Why isn't that a part of the legal process of owning a firearm? And it seems like it should be for every person. Every time we we hear about some uh, some disturbed, some deranged, some evil or just some nut job that runs into uh, a movie theater, uh, that runs into a hospital, a school, or whatever the place is, and opens fire. In general, if that person is a Muslim, the first thing you know that that happens is you know we we bring up their mental state, their mental well-being, and I I mentioned of course if it's not a Muslim, because if it's a Muslim, then we don't care about any of that, right? Then it's just a matter of that person being. Uh, just being an evil person who hates freedom. So, uh, but in these other instances, mental health is brought up, and if it's being brought up, why aren't why aren't we responding to it? Why isn't there a call for? Uh, why isn't mental or psychological evaluation a part of the common sense approach to uh, gun legislation? And who's going to who's going to argue with that? Any thoughts on that, Ibrahim? Well, as far as I know, um, there are restrictions on people who can and can't purchase firearms based on people who have a record of mental illness. Sure. But uh, I don't know um, how and if 
during the background check if how that kind of overlaps or interacts with a person's criminal record. Um, a background check seems to be more in the line of like having a criminal record, right? right. I don't know how uh, different agencies or different pools of information can interact with each other in the right way to uh, whether they do or not to uh, include mental illness as a you know freedom from mental illness as a stipulation for someone who can purchase a firearm. Mm. I would add on to that that in order to become a police officer, there's a psychological evaluation that you have to go through. If you if you fail that psychological evaluation, you're not fit to be a police officer. Yeah. Right. And what's the main thing that you're worried about with a police officer? The main concern for most people is that person abusing their authority, abusing that power. Uh, because you're you're strapping a gun onto somebody and sending them out and giving them the authority to make life or death de- uh, decisions for folks. Now, of course, we're not talking about police officers in this instance, but we also are acknowledging the fact that when somebody gets that license or when somebody is able to walk into um, a, a retailer or a, a gun wholesaler or whatever and they're able to buy a firearm legally, why aren't we also making that same jump, that same logical jump to say that in this person's hand is also the ability to to take life? We're not just talking about defending your home, but if what you know, if you're giving this job to a person who is predisposed, you know, they just don't have the psychological makeup. They don't value life in the same way. Yeah, like we have concealed carry permits here in Illinois and in every state. Yeah, there's a class that you're required to take a certain amount of hours right Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that could be applied to simply getting a foyt i don't think you need to in order to get a foyt card no you don't you don't have to go through any training or anything like that just fill it out that training could be shifted to an earlier point it would be easier to uh you know determine who is actually capable of owning a being a responsible firearm owner yeah, I mean, because I think it's got to go beyond simply um, judging somebody based off of what they've done, right? Right. Because say, have a deterrent. Yeah. Say if someone with mental illness was to try to get a concealed carry permit, and then they were required to take this class or whatever, I, I'm imagine I pre- I'm pretty sure that if someone was mentally ill, that that would be you know something that would become obvious, and then people could you know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. And that's why I say the psychological evaluation, independently of whether it's it's a test. And I know one of the concerns that comes along with this is what is the economic impact. And I know um, uh, Second Amendment folks, you know, and I mean, I'm I'm, for, I'm all for Second Amendment and right to bear arms, but you'll have folks who will uh, push back and say that this is an infringement on that. But the the fact is. We can't have people, we can't keep looking over the fact that we have a serious problem um, with, we have a serious problem (laughs) with Siri. Siri just jumped in, jumped into the conversation. Uh, And I think she called me my brother. But uh, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) we've got a serious problem. Uh, We have a serious problem with access that is not taking into consideration 
an issue which seems to be front and center in each and every one of these mass shootings, and that is the mental health of the individual, especially for those who have legally purchased firearms. So I'll I'll leave that there. There's got to be a way for folks to figure out a way where, um, I think I was about to, I was on a train of thought of of speaking about the economic impact of of the, uh, of of that type of evaluation being put in place uh, for folks. But I think when it comes to the public safety, um, public health, and if that's how we're treating it as a public health issue, then we need to make the necessary uh, adjustments and, and move forward on that. So, all right. So, uh, family, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, uh, we are going to talk about happier things. Um, still with a little bit of edge, but we're going to talk about uh, Amazon HQ2. So, this is Radio Slime. We'll be back in just a minute. Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. The Syrian Community Network with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El and we're broadcasting on WCEB 1450 AM 
Now, folks, remember to keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And look for us wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. At Radio Islam USA. All right. I am joined, as always, by the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. Assalamualaikum. Uh, and And uh, there's something really... Uh, uh, really interesting that is taking place right now. Uh, some folks are really excited about it, while others are resisting it. And I alluded to it right before we went to break, and that is uh, Amazon's H two HQ two. And for some Queens residents, it is not coming without a fight. Right. There is going to be a little bit of a. Uh, hip hop history lesson in this segment. That's right. You should, if you heard uh, the QB, you should already know. <laughs> <laughs> so Amazon has been de- trying to decide for a long time where they're going to build a new headquarters. Chicago was on the list for a long time. Many others were on the list, got scratched off one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia, Northern Virginia was like one of the last and biggest candidate people. A lot of the experts zeroed in on this and said, this is going to be the place, right? Mm-hmm. So last minute, Amazon surprises a lot of people and says, we're splitting it between Northern Virginia and uh, New York City, right. specifically in the Queens borough of New York City in a place called, I think it's called Long Island City, yep. which happens to be right next to uh, a place called Queens Bridge. Queens Bridge, for those of us who used to listen to, I don't know, listen that much anymore. No. For, for <laughs> many <laughs> of the uh, famous rappers from New York City were from a, a neighborhood called Queens Bridge. Queens Bridge was the, at one point, I don't know if they've torn down buildings or whatever, but it was the largest housing project in the country. Mm. The second largest was what? Uh, Robert Taylor. Yep, exactly. Yep. Until that was torn down in like the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Uh, Quick so, fact, uh, that's where my father's family um, came from, or grew up in. So I, yeah. I, have, I have vivid memories of going there as a child. Wow. Yep. So Queens Bridge looked a little bit different. It was uh, kind of lower buildings and a lot of just a lot of buildings scattered in this whole one area. You know, Robert Taylor was kind of one long strip, right? Yeah, all the way down to 50. Yeah. 55th, 54th. Yeah. So a lot of famous rappers came out of Queensbridge. The most famous being, obviously... Say his name. Nas. <laughs> um, also, Mob Deep, the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, to go into detail, Mob Deep, only one of them was from Queensbridge. Uh, Prodigy, right? No, Havoc was from Havoc. Queensbridge. Oh, Prodigy okay. was from a place called Hempstead, which is okay. right next to New York City, but he was kind of like welcomed into the the Queensbridge area. He got his pass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so he yeah. basically represented that area yeah. in his music. Um and it's interesting which if so for someone who was really into this this music and that uh subgenre of the the music and the culture, even not ever having been there, mm-hmm. you still kind of get this mental map of like all the, I can tell you all these different neighborhoods in New York City and I've I've never even really been there. Yeah. Um, it, because they're all rapping about their neighborhood and, you know, Queens and Brooklyn and mm-hmm. these different neighborhoods within the boroughs. 
Yeah. You can kind of get this mental map of, even though you've never even been there. Yeah, this is true. The power of uh, hip hop, I guess. Yeah. And and you know what? I got to say that there's no place, um, there's no place in the history of hip hop that has that, that, that has that type of effect where, because New York, you know, yeah, because of the geography being, uh, of New York, it's being into these yeah, all these different all islands boroughs. and these boroughs that are yeah. separated by water, and so yeah, mm-hmm. geographically, it just forms this very distinct Long Island, Staten Island, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, BK, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, all of them. There's a ha- Harlem where the graf- graffiti culture, I think, originally started. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're getting a little bit off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Queensbridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple other notable rappers. Uh, Nature. Uh, Nature's? Cormega. Wow. Probably one of the most underrated uh, MCs of all time. I have not I have not heard or thought about Cormega. Man. Yeah. It's, it's been a and, minute. And uh, also Tragedy Gaddafi. He was another one of the famous ones. Yeah. Okay. See, um, he said Ibrahim said you're gonna get a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and they were known to have much more of a laid back style, kind of like here with Southside rappers in Chicago are known to have a more laid back style. Almost country. West Side rappers are more kind of like in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Queensbridge rappers were known to have a more laid back style kind of a stream of consciousness type of rap think well, even though he's not qb but think big daddy kane yeah that type of um oh yeah that reminds me mc shan also okay now see i didn't know that yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so i used to know myself i don't listen to the music anymore because i really don't think that this is something you know muslims are supposed to engage in mm-hmm. i follow that opinion yeah but uh definitely part of my it was part of my life at one time you know big yeah. part so that's why i know all this stuff i see you, you get to see uh differing opinions right i still listen i don't i listen to more um i'm like always in the news now mm-hmm. right so that's kind of my and, and my daughters they get on me right because they get in the car and and this msnbc is on you know, yeah. and they're like, "Can we? Can we change the channel? <laughs> like, how do you not? How do you not know what? What's you know? How do you not want to know what's going on?" But anyway, but I, I still listen, you know, because I gotta, I, I try to keep current with what is influencing the young people. Mm-hmm. Man, we have really just gone way off. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we bring this to we bring this up to kind of uh, talk about the background of the story, which is sure. Queensbridge projects and the identity of that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after the recession that happened about a decade ago, just like many places in the country, gentrification started in the areas that were surrounding. Factories started pro- closing. Yeah, the, in the yep. area surrounding the projects. So it was this new influx of people who are young and very wealthy living next to uh, you know this historic housing project. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the uh, the backdrop now in Long Island City which is very close Amazon has announced it's moving its uh, new headquarters mm-hmm. there's going to be a big influx of people highly skilled uh, high earning people coming in average and, and I, I gotta throw this in there yeah it's supposed to be 40,000 expected jobs with an average salary of $150,000 wow that's High earning indeed. Yes. High earning. Um, 
and probably less uh, cost of living than Manhattan as well, a little bit. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Here's something to consider, like the effects of Silicon Valley on real estate in San Francisco um, and how that uh, how property values have and rental uh, rates have, have skyrocketed mm-hmm. and have contributed to homelessness. Yeah. Right. That was one of the things that was on the ballot. Right. They put a tax on Silicon Valley and said, you got to give something back. So I would I would estimate that that at some point this is also going to be a concern. How are property values going to change? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We will tackle that. (laughs) There are many because this is where the real debate happens here. Yeah. So we know what's the background of the place. We know what's happening now. Amazon is moving in. There's a huge influx of jobs coming. They're going to create a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously going to get a lot of tax breaks. There's, I mean, anywhere, oh, yeah. everyone wants Amazon to come there, right? right? So they incentivize. So they're getting a lot of city and probably state tax breaks. Um, people are asking now, what is Amazon going to do for the low-income residents which uh, who live in the surrounding communities, such as Queensbridge, right. are they going to see any of the benefits from this huge corporation coming in? Or are the benefits from Amazon really going to be relegated to, you know, uh, wealthy, young, educa- highly educated people? Right, right. And I think um, when it comes to that resistance, uh of course, this is all. This is situated in the same type of environment that we've seen before, after recession, after, um, after uh, jobs, you know, uh, are are gone. After, if there any, if there's a manufacturing base, you know, factories close, and then there's this kind of a a rebirth, right? So either buildings are demolished, or there's um, there's a construction boom, uh, which has happened. Uh, in uh, which has happened in uh, Long Island City. So one of the things that was mentioned in this one piece uh, I found on The Verge talked about says uh, since 2010 uh, there is a construction boom which has changed the face of Long Island City, and because of that, uh, there's a fear that the uh, that this sudden influx of high salaried Amazon employees uh, entering the neighborhood is going to drastically change life for those who have been there, those lower-income uh, residents. You know, will they have a place? Will they be, you know, are is there, are their rents going to skyrocket in a way to push them out so that further development uh, can, ta- uh, can take place? You know, because real estate is the, it's the last thing that there's, you know, you can't invent new real estate, right? So what's, whatever's there, it becomes more valuable. So, um, so it's, it's, it's a really important question and there's a there's even more fundamental question that's going on here what's that the discussion is being elevated to a whole question of capitalism and should amazon even is amazon even obliged to do anything as a corporation for the people uh, of the surrounding areas or is it is it something that you know a corporation just focuses on its own thing and the side effects of it being there such as you know, increased property value or, or whatever, increased uh, money spending in the surrounding areas. That this is enough for you know, uh, this is enough benefit to bring to the people. This is even a moral discussion going on here. 
Now, and this is kind of at the core of what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. How do we decide who's right, right? So we've got to look at all of the all of the the pros and cons of Amazon coming there. What is Amazon bringing, and what is it taking from the area, right? Mm-hmm. So it's bringing all of these jobs. It's bringing money that the people ostensibly are going to spend in the surrounding areas. Sure. It's taking things too, like. Uh, transportation is going to put an influx of people is going to put stress on an already stressed out transportation system in New York City Mm -hmm. Um, they're taking tax money in the sense that they're getting these huge incentives right so that's less money that could have been going to uh, services in 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 New York City and in New York State so is Amazon should they be obligated to, for example, promise jobs to people, promise a certain number of jobs to the people of the surrounding areas, low-income neighborhoods? I'm, I'm a bit, I, I don't think I'm really surprised at my answer on this, um, but I'll say that we continue to pass responsibility for the people. There's this um, this movement to pass it on to uh, corporations to private interests. Mm-hmm. When municipalities, whether it's local or state government, uh, find themselves failing, and the state, just like any business or the city, uh, any business, they're always looking at what's their bottom line. You know, how do we continue to bring in more revenue? Uh, so they justify this these tax cuts with the belief that by bringing in Amazon. Uh, and these 40,000 employees by uh, just their mere presence that is going to generate income. You know, these 40,000 employees and uh, the building that's going to take place because of their presence, these folks are going to spend money. So they're going to get that sales tax. People are going to, uh, surrounding businesses will do better. Uh, So they, they see themselves benefiting in a different way. But to go back to your point of, those people who are displaced or impacted, what are they owed? I think first they're they're owed something by the governments, uh, the municipality, you know, the, the uh, that are supposed to be uh, representing them, uh, providing services, and it's something that uh, that corporations corporations they can take into consideration their impact on the uh, the existing population. I think they should. But I think the the core of that responsibility it it res, it resides with our our local uh, our local and our state governments, right? I would have the conversation there first, and then move on to the the corporate consideration. Um, I'm a little surprised at myself on that, but I think <laughs> right because I'm I'm certainly not trying to let off you know let them off the hook because that's how we we end up in situations where we got gentrification uh and the the existing populations are displaced and they're left with nothing but i do think it that conversation begins with our local um our local and our state governments isn't part of the equation the the money and the incentives that the tax breaks basically that amazon is getting yeah um is it does it seem like the city, any municipality or any state is more concerned with luring these big corporations to the area in order to solve the problem rather than 
you know, directly getting their hands dirty uh, and and fixing problems in the school system and healthcare system and so on. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that it's pretty apparent that they are more concerned with um, it's with almost like luring a, those people almost here. like a form of trickle down economics, right? And it doesn't work. Trickle down economics has has, has never worked. Um, the fact that you know we're looking at forty thousand high earning jobs, uh, high paying jobs, the average one hundred fifty thousand dollars. You're not going to get forty thousand professionals directly from Long Island, uh, Long Island City, directly from uh, even the surrounding areas of New York. They're going to be a, a whole lot of people who are relocating for those jobs. Uh, this is a, a particular uh, skill set. So the justification can't be that we're bringing them here because this means jobs for people from, you know, from the surrounding area. So it's, it's not... It's not a decision that's made with the interest of the people. It's a decision. It's a financial. Um, it's if you're there in a position to serve, if your business is already there, if you are a service provider, that's going to be able to you know make a connection with uh, you know with the new headquarters. You'll be okay. But it's not about the people that are there, and that's where you know it's 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 a failing on behalf of uh, you know of, of the state. Yeah, another question that I don't know the answer to. I don't pretend to know the answer to this. I know the answer. No, I don't. <laughs> I bet you one of our friends who has been on before does, though. Mm-hmm. Um, like Amanda Cast, maybe. Okay. The question is about taxes. So, so any big corporation that's moving into an area will be given these tax breaks, right? Mm-hmm. Now, does the city, for example, in a, in the long term, expect to see a payback from that tax break that will be? you know an even greater influx of money into the into the vault in the long term say over five years or ten years say that someone's getting a one billion dollar tax break right now or right. whatever 100 million does the city expect to see that made up plus more over say five or ten years that i don't know um not being a, uh, an, an economist um or you know like that's not that's not my uh, area of expertise either, but I can say based on prior, like we think about Boeing when Boeing came here, uh, Chicago Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they were given tax breaks. Um, from what I understand, these things are, uh, they are fixed for a particular amount of time, whether it's 10 years, uh, you know, five, 10, 15, you know, whatever, there's a particular amount of time that, that tax break is going to uh, be in effect. But, in the meantime, uh, where that those taxes are not being uh, gained from the particular company, I go back to the ripple effect uh, generated income from uh, businesses, uh, construction, um, you know, whatever any any ancillary type of uh, uh, businesses that might be involved, where they're getting money, you know, not directly but indirectly. And that may suffice until the time that that tax break is up. It's got to be, you know, they're not in this game to lose money. So right. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that they, they get their money. They, they're going to get their money at, at some point. So this is this was basically the we need to get Amanda in. What's up? I said we need to get a, get Amanda back in here. Yeah, <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. 
So the question was basically, which I guess kind of remains unanswered. I have my answer. Yeah. Everyone has their answer, but who's right? Is should someone like Amazon be obligated, or should they feel like a responsibility? So you didn't give your opinion on this. Go ahead. Yeah. What's your opinion? I'm of the opinion that um, well, first of all, corporations always are seeking to be treated like a person, right? Like it's an true. individual. Yeah. If if someone was if I was sitting next to someone who was hungry and I was eating a big, beautiful, tasty meal, mm-hmm. I would feel obligated to share it with that person. You know, right. if they're hungry, if they're starving, right? Right. Um, if corporations want to be treated like individual people, they should feel that same sense of moral responsibility. Um, and that might even need to be legislated in some cases. Ooh. If you're in this situation, Amazon is coming and they're going to put stress on the infrastructure and transportation system, right? While and bring all these people in from outside who are making lots of money and who are spending money. And while at the same time, there are people living right next to them in the surrounding communities who might not, uh, basically, might not even be welcome there, right? And and that's very troubling. So. It makes sense for them to, ha- to, to, for a city to use as part of their incentives package or whatever. Say, okay, we'll give you this many dollars in tax breaks. You also have a responsibility to create jobs that are accessible to people in the surrounding areas. A certain number, say, a certain percentage or whatever. That would make a lot of sense to me. I'm obviously not an expert in this area, but it seems like the right thing to do. And it seems not just the right thing to do, but the more practical and more sensible thing to do. Now, having the feeling that you want to share with the person who has less. Yeah. Right? The person you're eating and this other guy over here has nothing. He's hungry. Now, how much you give him? You could be legislated. Somebody could tell you, okay, you have to give this person 25% of what you have. Mm-hmm. And you are upset about the fact that you are being told you have to give 25%. When in reality, you may have given that person half of your own of your own volition. Hmm. Right? So there's a danger in legislating um in legislating uh that. And yeah, legislation is a strong word. What I meant is it should be um encouraged. Yes. It should be woven into the incentives that are given by cities and states i agree with that to say okay if you provide x number of jobs then we take you up a point right we you know we do something that's in your favor yeah yeah i I can see that but if you all think if you also think about the long-term effects of um of just ignoring particular communities uh disinvestment uh that you, you realize that you make those places uh to uh, in a in a large uh in a manner of speaking you make those places in uh uninhabitable right or a place that those people with the means to move you know they do so and the only people that are left are really those who have the least amount of social capital uh who are least likely to be able to advocate for themselves so in a position from from Amazon or any other corporate entity from any from their position when they come in and they look in these areas uh, they see themselves as bringing value. Their mere presence 
brings value because they're going into areas that may or may not really have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as, as a part of the pitch, one of the things that they have to do, I would imagine that just like the Olympics, whenever a city wants to be considered to host the Olympics, they have to show not only that they can house uh, the athletes and all of the uh, events, but they also have the infrastructure, the transportation infrastructure that will allow for people to get from point A to point B. Uh, and on the outside of that, you know, it's the cultural attractions and stuff like that uh, where they expect to get tourism dollars. So that infrastructure strain, I think that's going to also play into uh, – I, I would expect that maybe there's going to be some development, some, some uh, expansion. Another thing is that uh, gentrification yeah. looks great on paper. What do you mean? Meaning if someone, if some corporation can show that we came into this area and then the property value rose and all these big glass towers started being built, that looks great, right? Yeah. This was a low-income area and it was just a, you know, a slum type of area before and then now we came and look at it now. Yeah. Uh, looks great on paper, but there's hundreds if not thousands of people whose lives are being uh, negatively affected by things that doesn't come through when it comes time to pay taxes or just look at statistics, you know, all the time. Yeah. That's the just the nature of gentrification, that it's a selling point. It can be a selling point, but for the people who are living in a certain neighborhood who are now ousted due to rising rent and property value and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, not so good. Yeah, and, and that's why I go back to uh, pointing out the uh, blatant disinvestment that many cities around the uh, country, including, you know, our own Chicago, uh, th- that exists. Uh, and that's that's why when we had on some of the uh, mayoral candidates, one of the questions is, what are you going to do for uh, South and West Side communities that have a historical um, uh, position as being, uh, as, as, uh, of being ignored, of being uh, disinvested, you know, of, of not being invested in? Mm-hmm. Um, because that same... That same tax credit that they that they give to these corporations, how come they can't do that for co-ops? How come they can't do that for small businesses? Um, because if we think about the majority of businesses in the country, the ghost are the, small businesses. The trickle down philosophy is still there. I yeah. think that's why. Yeah, yeah, they don't want to invest directly. They don't want to invest in empowering people. Uh, they want to, and this whole idea of trickle down is really you're waiting for. You're waiting to get yours. You're waiting in line to get yours. So that's why it, it's a conversation to me that needs to be had with our uh, elected officials, uh, with the, the boards that determine, um, you, you know, these these tax credits and TIF uh, districts and all of that and how they are investing into uh, the residents on the ground, right? Because we've got plenty of folks who could who could run businesses, who could hire folks, who could add to the economy, but they're looked over, and those areas are allowed to to fall into blight um, and, and disrepair. And then, when you get the proper corporate suitor comes along, and you give them everything, and these folks are displaced, and now we're having a conversation about what is the corporation's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and sure, they could uh, pr- provide some jobs, but. 
I, th- I don't think we have to get to the point. Do you think it's where more an issue now? of the the city or state entities mismanaging things? I, I think it's like it's willful disinvestment. Mm. It's willful. I mean, there's no way in the world you could have uh, communities as they are uh, on the south side, on the west side. I mean, going back to the riot, the, uh, the, the riots of '60 was a '68. Um, uh, when the, you know, all the, the fires uh, were set, and you still have vacant lots that that have been vacant since the late '60s. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's apparent that, but but at the same time, we have more cranes up in Chicago right now than uh, I think maybe anywhere in the country. I think we have more cranes up in Chicago. But they're not up. <laughs> they're not up on the south. They're not up on the west side. Uh, the type of investment that's needed to keep uh, communities healthy and not fall victim to, you know, having to protest the encroachment of some corporate villain or, or hoping that they make space for you. Um, that type of investment, it, it, it doesn't present itself. So, yeah, conversation for me, it starts with. Uh, it, it starts with our, our, our local and our state municipalities. How are they spending that money? How are they investing back in their residents? Yeah, that's where I'm at. I acknowledge that, but at the same time, I'm not. I don't want to let someone like Amazon off the hook that easily. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, I want there to be, you know, at the end of the year, when the it's time to pay the IRS, right? Yeah. People look back and say, okay, we have this many deductions based on whatever amount of like nonprofit uh organizations I donated to for example you know sure why couldn't there be a more rigorous uh, examination of a corporation of a certain size like Amazon or like whatever Coca-Cola or whatever you know yeah say okay now what have you done for you have set up shop in this place in this place and in our country what have you done for the people in the surrounding communities you know, based on that, you might pay this much, many million dollars in tax, or this much. You know, yeah. Um, have that included in a more rigorous, a more meaningful, and a more, um, more, in a way that's more interactive with the the surrounding communities, to um, prevent a negative kind of gentrification from happening and something more productive. I, I agree with that. I, mean, I think a part of the the, the ethos of um of, of, of Muslim engagement with any environment is to leave that space better than you found it. Yes. Um, and in th- that type of uh, thinking, with that logic, if we're treating a corporation as a person, you would you would also have that expectation uh, to be aware, to be mindful of the of the existing population, right? So, uh, so I don't see anything. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not. I wasn't going to say I don't see anything wrong. No, I'm in agreement with you, uh, because that that whole disinvestment uh, piece, that whole thing, that exists. It is as it is, and it may take a sense of corporate responsibility to maybe to lead the way, and and possibly that might spur uh, that might spur our, uh, our 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 local and our state governments to to rethink their engagement. Uh, their idea of stewardship, because there's also this idea of, of, of stewardship, you know, that, that we have to um, manage those under our our care. So, uh, so I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I'm in agreement. 
we'll, yeah. we'll see how it everything pans out once uh, once the headquarters are completed and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, if you have any particular thoughts on it, uh, get at us on Facebook or Twitter. Right. Let us know uh, what you think. Do you think it's a matter of corporate responsibility or if it is uh, a failing of our elected officials, our, our local and our state government? Will you be interested to let us know, uh, to hear what you think, excuse me, to hear what you think? So at Radio Islam, let us know. All right, family, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a minute. Kids will spend 10 minutes copying everything their sibling says. You're such a doofus. doofus. How about two minutes to brush their teeth? Brushing for two minutes now can save your child from severe tooth pain later. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. Two minutes, twice a day. They have the time. Mom. Mom! A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take this time to breathe deeply and close your eyes. Right now, you're completely in control. Unlike the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you tried removing those raccoons from the basement. Concentrate on the soothing sound of my voice. Release the memory of when you wrestled with that beehive in your son's treehouse. Let go of the time you thought that skunk was a cat, or when you pulled into the garage with your son's bike on top of the car. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. You can keep up with us on social media and also find us wherever you get your podcast at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, in our last waning moments with you, we want to make sure that you know about uh, the Sierra Conference. Uh, and the Sierra Conference is something that Sound Vision holds each year, and it is free of charge. And um, it's important on a number of fronts. Uh, first of all, for our uh, our non-Muslim uh, Radio Islam family members, this is a great opportunity for you to hear uh, the uh, hear stories and to hear some of the practical application of the uh, the life and the uh, the legacy of Prophet Muhammad. Uh, peace and prayers be upon him. Uh, so we've got some uh, a great lineup for you. Uh, it's interactive. Uh, as a matter of fact, at the end, well, 
it it it'll be appropriately pra- uh, placed. Our featured presenter, which is uh, Professor Juan Cole. Um, he is uh, the author of a book which is really good. Matter of fact, we had him on the program and spoke to him about his book. And the book is um, Muhammad, Prophet of Peace Amid uh, the Clash of Empires. And uh, I'm not going to go all into it, but it is a it is a great read. But he'll be there selling as also also signing his book. And we'll have present presentations by uh, Um Zakia. Uh, we'll also have Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, um, uh, myself, um, uh, Imam Wesley Abu Samaya LeBron, and Ustav Ubaidullah Evans. And each presentation will uh, is unique, and we pray it's going to be beneficial. Uh, it'll leave you inspired, uh, informed, and feeling uh, a bit more clarity. Um, and of course, you know, I said I was speaking to my non-Muslim, but as well, uh, my Muslim. Radio Islam family members as well. Uh, It's also, it's just a great time to reconnect, uh, to really reconsider this legacy that we are the recipients of. Uh, This this mission, the prophetic mission, is not something that died with the physical person uh, of Muhammad, uh, Um, peace be upon him. But it is also a mission that we are inheritors of. So this theme of our prophet, the unifier, is something for us to to take hold of and to think about and how we how we implement this idea of, of being a source of unity, of being mindful of our common connection and uh, and, and really preserving the, the, the dignity uh, of the, the human being, uh, regardless of our differences, but preserving that dignity. So this is going to be December 1st at Elmhurst College. It's 1 p.m. to Maghrib, which is about uh, 4.30 or so. Uh, and I mentioned again, this is a free event. So Elmhurst College is 190 South Prospect Avenue, Elmhurst, Illinois, 60126. Uh, and I want to mention really quick because I know her, um, the theme of her presentation, Sheikha uh, Um Zakia. So her her presentation, it is about it is uh, it is healing. Uh, is spiritual healing um, through, uh, I think, it's the, through the prophetic tradition. Uh, we've also had her on. I, if I could tell you off the top of my head, I would tell you which episode it was. But she's been on the program, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, intellect. And uh, you can just expect to get a lot of benefit from all of the presentations. So we leave you with that. Uh, hope to see you there Saturday, December 1st, Elmhurst College, uh, as I said. Just come on in. We hope to see you there. All right. Uh, It is our time to go. So we thank you for joining us. Uh, We thank our sponsor, Zakat Foundation. Thank you very much. And we thank our engineers, as usual, over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host, uh, uh, Tariq Alamine. Ibrahim and I were your producers as my co-host. And we also recognize our executive producer, Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.